Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. Great to be with you. And today's topic is a part one of 10 hard lessons from 21 years of failures and mistakes. 21 years of failures of failures and mistakes and 10 hard lessons that came out of that. But before we get into today's topic, I want to invite you to consider partnering with us uh, on next Tuesday, which is Giving Tuesday, the week after Thanksgiving. Uh, we'll be raising money to launch the uh, Spanish language uh, course of emotionally healthy discipleship. Uh, the EH Discipleship Course Leaders Kit is now being translated into fully into Spanish and uh, released as a kit. So it's a gigantic, massive initiative. And so we're raising money to redo our website into Spanish and translate the Leaders Resource Vault and training of how to launch the course, everything level one that's on our website and uh, train coaches, etc. So we invite you to pray about joining us. Uh, next Tuesday, December 3rd, for Giving Tuesday. So with that, uh, let's dive into this this topic. I found a priceless document a few weeks ago in my files while I was looking for something else. And it came from 2009, actually. I'd already initiated a succession process here at New Life that was going to take place four and a half years from that moment. Uh, And I was, at that point, 21 years into my tenure as lead pastor, And we were with our staff team, our full staff team, and a consultant. And we spent a day on this, uh, on what were the hard, most critical lessons, turning points that we had learned from the previous 21 years that we wanted to make sure that we took into the long-term future of New Life Fellowship Church. So we wouldn't make the same mistakes, but actually learn from what God did in our midst. So we spent a day on this, and then we spent uh, another couple of weeks, I spent a couple of weeks pondering it, passing it around, then our staff team again for a second round of discussions, then it went to our elder board for more discussions, and then I finally put it together into this into this living document that was buried, of course, in my computer somewhere. And I just called it a, a living document of 21 years of labor, mistakes, and fruitful suffering, <clears throat> and um, uh, meant to be reread prayerfully before the Lord uh, in going forward. And so they're so rich. I'm just going to do five today, and then we'll do five uh, next week. But let me make a couple of introductory remarks before before I launch into this. Uh, and that is that this really was a process of integrating uh, the contemplative and the reflection of prayer and silence and stillness uh, into the capturing of insights, uh, into reflecting theologically and really learning from the lessons that came out of our mistakes. And in each case, as we did it, we did move into a deeper level of maturity and develop some tools sometimes, our policies, and that were very critical. And I actually hope to be a good model for you that you'll you'll have a different set of lessons from your own crucible of uh, mistakes and failures. But the problem is, if you don't do it, you end up repeating the same mistakes in a different form uh, over and over again. And then the second remark is just, just that this involves uh, lamenting. It involves grief and loss. And and you see, again, the, the great principle emotionally of the discipleship is is one of the, in fact one of the core principles of the of the spirituality course is that without familiarity with sorrow we don't mature as men and women we that loss and failure actually uh, wears away our masks and our false selves that we often present to the world even as churches and, and loss topples any monument we're erecting to our own self importance it's it's a stripping process and makes us very human. And it ripens us and it pulls out from the depths of our souls that which is, I think, most real and often most of God. And it did this process did it for us, um, I think, as a church as well. And so part of it for me as the, as the senior leader, especially, and the one who often initiated the mistakes and failures, 
that uh, was to welcome the grief that went that accompanied the failures. That that was the great challenge, and and I found that Jesus was waiting for me there, and in, in that pit of brokenness and failure, and actually became a place of revelation. So I'm excited to share with you today that uh, the beginning of these hard lessons that came out of our failures and mistakes over years. And uh, so let me just jump right in with the first one, which was this: that character is more important than gifting. First hard lesson was that character is more important than gifting. And that when we overlooked issues of character and humility in particular, we paid a price, often a steep price. And the power of God really is made perfect in weakness. And that go on, went on all levels. You know, who's on the board, the governing board, advisory board, governing structure. And, uh, and it's just so easy to, to choose people who are either highly gifted, great givers, uh, very adept at strategy and maybe they're, you know, heads of companies or entrepreneurs, uh, and but they aren't necessarily the right people according to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, uh, they may be good people, but not the right people as Paul laid out the kind of qualities of a governing leader. Uh, and corporate experience is not uh, the seasoning of a life of prayer, a life in scripture, a life that's uh, been broken and sober, etc. That character really is more important than gifting. And what happens is people change, and we found this out, as people get a title or position or or power, uh, it reveals character in them. And, and why? Because we end up thinking often we're more than we are. And I don't even know the expression from Lord Acton, the British historian, who said that all power tends to corrupt and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And what he meant by that was that if a, a person in power stays in power long enough, they eventually conclude that power and wisdom are the same thing. And that if they possess power, uh, they must also possess wisdom. And uh, I, I would say it a little slightly differently, that it, it reveals uh, the lack of character or the depth of character in them. And so what happened was I gave people positions quickly because we were I wanted to grow quickly. And based on their gifts and their anointings, their ability to deliver results, and uh, it almost always caused significant uh, trouble. And uh, again, I was often carrying too much because I was moving too fast. And so I, I felt the weight of I had to you know, delegate and give authority to people and often quicker than was healthy for them. And when I elevated people too quickly, uh, it was, I hurt them. Uh, they weren't ready for it. And all of a sudden, all kinds of things started to come out. They didn't have the character for it. And it was just a mess. And, and then I think on top of that is when I say character is more important than gifting is I didn't want to look at certain things in people. Like I would, I would see, uh, what do you, I'd see like signs. I, 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 a person would come in late to meetings a lot or uh, have an anger outburst or have the, a consistent sarcastic remarks or be getting a number of speeding tickets or work, not follow through on their commitments. They say yes and wouldn't do it. And I, as much as possible, I'd want to I'd gloss over it. I, I would, in my own brain, give them an excuse. I didn't want to press into what's really going on here because I didn't, really, I I didn't want to know because we, we were building something. And I had this machine, I don't say machine, but I, I was building the church. And uh, as you know, there, there's roles to be filled and it just gets messy when you start digging in there sometimes. And I was one of them. And I, uh, I've got a list here of, you know, examples and uh, of people. I remember one person who was very zealous, a great 
giver financially and a great doer. Uh, and uh, he was he was bringing people in, and uh, but uh, his character was not up with his gifting, and uh, I didn't restrain him, or perhaps better said, I, I didn't dig in there into some of the character issues. I kind of hoped they would just kind of work themselves out, which they didn't, uh, and they never do is what I found out. Or again, I uh, um, cracks are, are, were seen, I think of another fellow here, and um, you know, character is more important than gifting. I may have preached it in a sermon and probably preached it at a leadership meeting, but I didn't necessarily live it uh, because, again, it would have slowed things down. And I, who am I to make, quote, judgments? And I confused discernment uh, and love with being judgmental, which is not at all. And again, it would eventually later down the road produce something uh, very painful, uh, often a split of some sort. And and I could think of even um, folks who had powerful ministries that would pass through, or folks I was actually even learning from, who were incredibly gifted, often on national platforms. But their gifting was often, or, or, or you know, their knowledge and gifting was not necessarily commensurate with their, or their character wasn't commensurate with their gifting. But I just overlooked it. And so I got, I guess, some of the gifting but I also got an ugly side of it, too, that I ended up tolerating in our own midst as, as a congregation. And I, I just remember one person in particular, too, that was he was great if you worked for him. But if you were over him, if you were the person in authority over him, it was going to be a miserable experience. And uh, he wasn't interested in going down the road of this you know, family of origin stuff, uh, emotional health stuff. Uh, but he sure was uh, a gifted leader. And... Um, I, I just, I, I let it go for a while and caused a lot of pain. Uh, I remember wanting to resign and saying to myself, is it possible to have a people who are both gifted and have humble character, broken character, and, and wondered if it was possible? And then I realized, you know, the issue was actually me um, and that I, I, I didn't believe God was able to do both and I didn't dig in enough to actually help people grow in their character. At the same time, I have positive examples where I did choose character over flash, and I was always glad I did uh, in the long run. And uh, when I went with the flash that was quick and easy, uh, it didn't work. And I think I could say from everything in my memory right now, it didn't work ever. Uh, so first hard lesson learned out of failure mistake was mistakes was character is more important than gifting and flash which leads to lesson two, and that is do not rush. Uh, do not rush. And here's what I wrote as a subtitle in that document, which I found from 2009. When decisions were made quickly, without sufficient time to pause, to pray, think, and process the implications, we've had regrets. Seeing the promised land without seeing the pillar of cloud and fire by day is foolishness. And then I have a little note, Psalms 37, 34, wait for the Lord. I'm a visionary. I see things way earlier than they're going to happen. Uh, you know, my PhD is in rush ahead. I've talked about this in a, I think a podcast sermon I gave on uh, Ishmael, birthing Ishmael's on the life of Abraham. But we were planting churches in the early years quite quickly, launching programs, making hires. But rushing is often a way to bypass anxiety. 
uh, and it was I know it was my way of bypassing anxiety. Uh, but there's a, a principle, and that's this: that anything worthwhile takes years, takes time, especially building a church, or building a, a ministry, building people. Uh, it, it's not quick. You're not going to get in and out of this thing quickly. It's uh, we're not building a crowd. We're not building a, a corporation. We're building people, building a church of the living God with Jesus as the head, uh, and that's slow. Uh, again, just think of Jesus and the twelve. I had seeds of a vision for New Life Fellowship uh, early on. What I didn't understand was the limits of my role in that vision. Uh, in fact, in some ways, uh, New Life is now coming into pieces of the vision I think God gave me for that our church. Uh, now it's been seven years since I was lead pastor, uh, but I see New Life living into a, a much larger vision than when I was a lead pastor. So let your vision, the principle is let your vision age, let it mature, let it ripen like good wine. Don't rush it. Uh, in fact, sometimes we articulate our visions of, of even even over particular areas too quickly or too early. We have a vision, we have this yes, and we start talking to people about it way too quickly, and then we kind of launch something half baked, and it and uh, then it kind of dies, and we lose credibility. And uh, visions just also they, they, don't, they rarely come in a flash, or a piece may come in a flash, but they generally open like a flower. It's very they're very nuanced. What I see happening, particularly with social media. Today is that we're, you know so many of us as so many young leaders in particular are in contact with folks around the world, globally, and so invitations come and exposure comes really very quickly. Uh, first few years of your leadership and and you do have a sense of God's call for you in the world and to do great good, but what happens is you end up being ten to twenty years ahead of schedule, uh, and then you get exposed to what's always been around, which is which Eugene Peterson called ecclesiastical pornography. Uh, which is the kind of what other ministries are doing, and you say, I, I want to be that, or I want a piece of that, and you end up going, you're rushing, you end up rushing. Uh, you can always find people that will bless your rushing. Uh, it's so much part of Western culture, bigger, better, faster. The problem is there's nothing in the Bible on it. And my biggest rush, as I said earlier, was releasing people too quickly uh, in key positions. Again, because I was doing three to five jobs at once, I was moving too fast, and I was desperate for a break from my own pace. I remember launching a, we first launched our Spanish congregation in our early years. I I didn't know the couple that I appointed to lead it very well and walked through four seasons with them. Uh, and of course, things came out over time and then I moved to another leader real quickly because I was having a hard time juggling it all and same thing, under pressure, I didn't know that second leader very well either and again, rushing. And, and so it may not be with uh, today rushing and building a church of a certain size, but it might just be church planting, you know, and I, uh, I'm i all for multiplying communities and churches. <clears throat> but uh, the same thing, rushing of the planting of churches will always end up, uh, you'll pay for it. You just pay for it because you can't go faster than God's building something. And the primary image in scripture for God's work is agriculture, not manufacturing. Uh, and it sure is in computers. Uh, so, you know, I've seen it where we want to grow fast and I... Think of someone I was mentoring, and he was frustrated, and he wanted to grow very quickly out of a smaller building. So he rented a large warehouse and got into a building is very expensive and fixing it up, and just in, out of impatience, and you know, you're 10, 15 years later, still there, and just again, it was rushing. And I, I, you know, we made a decision out of this to when we bought our building that we would only pay cash for to fix it up. So we, want to, we don't want to carry any kind of heavy debt load. And 
uh, didn't look very good. And, uh, New Life still fixing up its building fully uh, versus other places that went into debt and built a beautiful place immediately. And uh, again, if we finally got that lesson in our, into our bones, there's no rush. Money's not always a blessing because money does enable you to move faster. Uh, I can think of some young churches in my day that were, had a lot of money at their disposal and so they grew very fast, able to buy large facilities, hire a lot of staff. The problem is they didn't have the character for it. And over the thousands of people that were coming and um, uh, character is always more important than gifting and rushing always ends up, I have to go back to start and build God's way anyway and uh, did not bring a good fruit long term and had to start all over and do it slow. And I think the same thing I've mentioned to publisher friends of mine who recruit people who write books. And I say, you can you you, you rush a career of a writer uh, because you've got goals to meet from your bosses and you can ruin a young leader. Uh, it's it's something very much can be very much in God that you're building slowly. I, I had, a, I had a, a pastor come to me recently who had launched a nonprofit ministry on discipleship and we were just talking about, he was asking me about, you know, exposure and how do you spread the word, et cetera. And I, I just said to them, I said, you, you, don't rush it. And I said, God's going to, you know, you build quality. God's going God's gonna to expand it. But it's going to take time, a lot, a lot of time, longer than you think. But relax. You know, God's not in a rush. We waited uh, for the director of our community development corporation uh, for 10 years and I was in that role for that 10 years and had people kind of filling in different spots. And I actually was accused of being a control freak. But I knew that whoever en entered that position needed to be living in the community, from the community, and be committed to staying in the community long term. And it was a senior role, very major role. And uh, it was a 10-year wait. Sure glad I did it. And, uh, you know, so much good has come out of that. First Timothy 5.22 says, Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands and don't share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Now, I'm not talking about being suspicious of laying hands on people. We want to believe in people. But that, you know, the, the counsel of testing deacons first, uh, it's just not to be hasty is a very important word uh, in God's church, in Jesus' kingdom. Even then, there's no guarantee as we release people in leadership. Of course, people make decisions along the way. But if I had a couple other applications for don't rush, it would also mean don't rush leaving or quitting. Uh, you know, I, I can think of three or four times in my history, uh, the 26 years I was lead pastor in the Life Fellowship Church, I wanted to quit. Uh, and I was just like, I'm, I'm done. And sometimes in those moments, uh, you're tempted to rush as well. And I would say, don't uh, rush. Uh, in fact, don't rush to believe the negative on people either. You hear stories about people or, or something we even think, we observe something, we think negative of them. Uh, I wouldn't rush to judgment on that or even rush to quote discernment on people either and definitely don't rush when you're hurt or angry i mean people take shots at us you get triggered by an email but you're the leader and you're a leader and uh part of that responsibility is you absorb it uh and you don't rush in judgments and anger uh because there's an impact on your actions and we have to be willing to live under the responsibility of leadership and again god's forming you through that waiting of not rushing and um but when you're hurt and angry, please do not rush. You know, you want to get counsel. You want to get centered. You want to do a ladder of integrity with yourself. Um, you want to see what God's trying to do in you. Someone asked me recently, hey, Pete, I want to really grow in uh, cross-cultural ministry. And I said, well, it's going to take years, actually decades uh, of listening to stories. Can't rush it. It's not a book. It's not a conference. It's listening to 
stories of people from different parts of the world and different races and social classes and entering their world and even then it's like a, it's like a going walking into the continent of Africa there's so much to learn I mean we're always learning but you can't can't rush that either and of course the principle the bigger decisions the longer discernment needed uh, the less rush and uh, when you rush a big decision you find out, as I have more than once, you find out that, oh my goodness, this has large implications for other people and other initiatives that I didn't think through. I like what Psalm 127 says. It's a verse worth memorizing. Uh, if you're a person like me who tends to rushes, unless the Lord builds a house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise up early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. For he grants sleep to those he love. And as Psalm 75, 7 says, a great verse, it's God who judges. God brings down one, he exalts another. God, God's in charge of that. We can relax. Third is this, and let me move on here in his final minutes here. The third hard lesson that uh, we came up with was that leaders need to take responsibility and initiative for their own growth and development. That leaders need to take responsibility and initiative for their own growth and development. In other words, as leaders invest time in their own personal growth and development, uh, they shape all those who look to them for leadership. In other words, uh, I couldn't articulate this for quite a while, for years, but without this uh, consciously in the culture, it's, it's difficult to grow and change and evolve with God and the changes com coming, coming your way. Uh, if you think of Acts chapter 2, uh, 42 to 47, when they're there in the early church, and they're breaking bread together, and they had everything in common, Acts 2, 42 to 47, the, the key word there is they're intentionally learning. That's what a disciple is. A disciple is a learner, an apprentice. They're in, we're in school with Jesus, always. And so much more, us as leaders, uh, knowing it takes years for truth to get deeply inside of us. But the key word here is leaders take responsibility to, be, to take initiative to grow. And, and um, I, I, I saw it in, uh, you know, for some folks uh, in the early years who were in leadership, just didn't have a great desire to learn <laughs> and grow and learn from different sources and books and, and people and uh, versus others. And I'm talking about everything. I'm going to, ther going to therapy to work on yourself and your inner life issues or spiritual direction or reading books or conferences, getting stretched you know, God's kingdom is so big and vast and even outside our streams or denominations. And uh, I, and so I, I, from the beginning, created a fund for seminars and conferences and books and therapy. I, I love doctor ministry programs. I think they're wonderful. Uh, mentoring, there's so much, you know, available, great mentoring programs. So it's a philosophy of leadership. Um, and if your church is very small, I want to encourage you to have a development fund uh, for your leadership, paid or unpaid. I mean, one of the great qualities of Benedictines, Benedictine spirituality going back to the 6th century was they were learners. Uh, they studied. And that needs to be high up on the job description for anybody in a senior leadership role in your in your ministry. And when you're supervising people, you're asking them about that. And, and your feedback reports on how they're growing, how they're experiencing transformation. Uh, because, again, a disciple is a learner, and we go first as leaders in creating that kind of a culture of openness to the Holy Spirit, learning, taking initiative. And I think, again, a key word is Leaders take initiative for their own growth and development. Really key item because as the years progress, God's going to lead you into changes. The ministry is going to evolve and change and go new directions. And you want people equipped to be able to flow with that. Which relates to the fourth lesson, which is this, that clarity of vision brings about uh, unified leadership. 
and unified leadership reinforces the vision. I'll say it again. Clarity of vision brings about a unified leadership. Uh, now, a vision is a, is a, and without a clear vision, uh, uh, leadership is scattered going in different directions. And it creates very small, often, uh, cracks. And then eventually those, those grow with time. Now, my poor differentiation in the early years uh, led to an unclear vision. Now, again, my vision did, of course, evolve with time. But uh, part of my difficulty in allowing myself to even get clear about what got it placed inside of me was I didn't want people to leave. And I wanted to hold on to people, especially gifted people. And so I had people on our team at different points that had maybe a four, they were, they bought into the vision, you know, half of the vision or four fifths of the vision. And I didn't know how to, I didn't, I didn't know the skill of clarify expectations, which is part of the emotional healthy relationships course. You know, an expectation must be a spoken, conscious, realistic, and agreed upon to be a, to be a valid expectation. And uh, so maybe someone would, would join us, but they really wanted to go church plant. They didn't really buy into the values and vision of what we had. Maybe they liked the emotional health piece, but they didn't really like the multiracial piece. Or they wanted the multiracial piece, but they didn't want the emotional health piece. Or they wanted the community development piece among the poor, but they didn't want the strong emphasis on discipleship and getting inside your inner life to be transformed by Jesus. And this was a very painful lesson because to have a clear vision um, takes time. It takes work. Uh, and then it takes courage to drive it home and live it because it, it, now many of you listening to my voice, you may not be the senior leader of your ministry, uh, of your of your of your church or your nonprofit, but you're on a team uh, and you've got a certain scope of responsibilities. Uh, but the key is that you're even within that scope of your responsibilities, you, you need a vision, a clear vision of how God's calling you to evolve that. Whether it's a youth ministry, or an adult ministry, a uh, women's ministry. Uh, maybe again a nonprofit ministry, but your your vision needs to fit within the larger vision of the uh, of the church or ministry or nonprofit or corporation. Uh, and so, that if you got people on your team, their vision, personal vision, needs to fit in within yours as well. And these are hard conversations because um, sometimes people's other people's visions change, and the problem is that then you're gonna may part ways, and that's not always a bad thing. I I, I think God's in very much a diversity in types of ministries. And I remember one fellow coming and he wanted, on our team, we wanted to linger before God in, in, in worship on, on Sundays and celebration services. And like other churches did. And the worship might go an hour or two hours. And, you know, word, prophetic words might come and God's power might come and might go into prayer ministry. And that was a very, that, 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 and I, I like that too, but I had a philosophy of ministry that was different. Uh, I wanted to feed believers on Sunday, but I wanted to be sensitive to new people and younger people, et cetera, et cetera. I didn't want it to become an in-house thing. That was, again, my philosophy of ministry. It wasn't mine. It was better than other churches at all. It was just mine. And I remember having a sit-down conversation eventually with this fellow um, uh, leading worship. And I said, your vision needs to be able to fit within mine. And are you okay with this? We'll create some other avenues for you to flesh that out. But with regards to... Uh, weekend services, Sunday celebrations, this is what I want to do. And uh, it, it, it worked out. It was, it was fine. But it was a difficult conversation. I had to get clear on my own vision. But when you have a clear vision, you do have a, a very unified leadership. And that unifies, again, everybody around you as well. And But then there are cases where people do change. And they their vision gets clearer. And then it becomes different than what you're building. And that's okay, too. But like a rocket ship going to space, if, if, if the rocket ship, someone's rocket ship is a little bit off on, on the trajectory of angle that they're going, 
down the road, it's going to lead to a different des destination. And uh, so you want to be able to have these conversations with a great spirit of humility and love and oneness. But if you are the senior leader of whatever scope your responsibilities are, you do want to get clear out of who God uniquely made you to be. What does what that vision look like for you? And, uh, and be clear about it and offer it as a gift to people around you. All right. And the final, and I'll close with this, the, the final lesson for today, at least, and I'll do five, the five others next week. But the fifth hard lesson learned out of failure mistake was that extended sabbatical rest releases new life-giving initiatives from God. And they enable us to serve out of a cup that overflows. I'll say it again. Extended sabbatical rest releases new life-giving initiatives from God and enables us to serve out of a cup that overflows. Uh, rich fruit rich fruit, and change always resulted uh, in the larger work in and through uh, new life through this. And uh, in other words, I, my, my first nine to 11 years, for example, actually nine years as a point leader, and then two years prior to that, um, you know, being just quite busy as an associate, and, but I'd never had a, a longer sabbatical rest of three to four months. And that was a big mistake. If nobody got it, we just kept going, going, going. We didn't have perspective. Um, and it, it took a pain, took a crisis of my, my first crisis with Jerry in 96 to have my first sabbatical. Uh, that was a mistake. It was a dangerous mistake. And what happens, many people leave their ministry for another one because they're so exhausted and they find out, I wasn't ready to even take on another ministry. I really needed a break. Uh, and and again, the principle of Sabbath is uh, on, a, on a daily basis, right? We, we need a weekly Sabbath to stop, rest, delight, you know, see, you know, step back from everything we're doing and let God replenish the soil of our souls. Uh, but in scripture, you see these yet longer sabbaticals, uh, you know, national festivals they would have for three, four days, which I would call kind of our longer weekends. And then you've got sabbatical years in the Old Testament to replenish the soil so it doesn't get ray from just do, do, giving, giving, sucking the nutrients from the soil. But when we're resting, God is replenishing the soil. And I learned really from the Lily Grants. If you ever look at Lily Grants and um, who provide uh, uh, monies for sabbaticals, uh, they talk about how you, you, you create, when you craft a sabbatical, it's a three to four month period that you're actually um, doing things to replenish your soul. And uh, and I've seen this not just for myself, I've seen it now in every person uh, around me who's taken a sabbatical and done it right, the riches and the fruit that have come out of it, not simply for them, but for the ministry they're leading. I've seen new life wouldn't be new life without it for those on staff long-term who've taken it. It takes great discipline to do a, to do a sabbatical. You've got to have a long-term view. Uh, and uh, But if you're in vocational leadership, that was you're being paid to teach and preach. You've been set apart by the church for that. This is not just for you. you. You need to do it for the sake of the church. Believe me, others will rise up and fill in those roles and actually grow as a result. They need you to get out of the way for a while. I wouldn't go for a year. I've seen people go for a year and have come back. And in one case, I can the church almost closed in without him there. It wasn't really healthy. But I but one month is not a sabbatical. Uh, one month's kind of a long vacation. Uh, it's a longer Sabbath, but it's not a, you know, it's really not a sabbatical. And if you're writing a book, it's not a sabbatical. Uh, it's it's the soil is resting and receiving. And uh, um, if I were a leader uh, of all the pastors who are 20, 30, 40 years old, I'd make it a requirement that you're going on a sabbatical. Uh, it's hard, but you we, we need you to receive what God's trying to do in your soul. Uh, you're giving out a tremendous amount. Uh, but being with God is your greatest gift. 
uh, to, to your people. It's your being. It's, it's your presence. It's listening to Jesus and crafting a sabbatical. And I had different themes of how I wanted to grow in each one. Everyone had to do, obviously, a slow down component. I had a marriage component, but it was always a lot of reading, seminars, mentoring. But it, it was it was taking in. And by taking sabbaticals, we're modeling to the wider church of our humanity, our brokenness, our frailty, our need to be first before we do and receive from God. All right, let me go from here. But it's been great to be with you, everybody. Next week, we'll turn to the other five turning point hard lessons that were learned in the crucible of mistakes over those 21-year uh, period. Uh, but again, p- consider partnering with partnering with us for next week at, at Giving uh, Tuesday, uh, Tuesday after Thanksgiving, as we bring the riches of emotionally healthy discipleship uh, to not just the English-speaking world, but to Spanish as well. And go to us, go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash lead. Check out the kind of training in English that we've got. If you've not gotten a hold of that for the course, and imagine us, we're going to bring that into Spanish as well. So thank you, everybody. It's been great to be with you. You have a wonderful day, and I look so forward to being with you next week.